The reading today is Luke 2, 1 through 40. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius, the governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger, because there is no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there is with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. At the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, 
Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping and fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. The word of the Lord. Good morning. Merry Christmas. It's really great to be with you today. I want to do, um, just give you an update. I had asked for prayer for Anne-Marie's father uh, before we left for Christmas. And you know that he was released from the hospital the day that we left and put into rehab and doing much better. In fact, when Anne-Marie saw him, uh, he was cogent in himself. And so we're really grateful for your prayers and would ask that you would continue to do so. Thank you. <laughs> uh, it's Christmas, and um, we've been celebrating Advent, and we've, we're so excited that Christmas has come, and we get a chance every Advent and every Christmas um, to look at the idea of Christ being with us and what that means. And we did that, uh, our Advent devotional that comes out each year that is written by many of you uh, is put together so that we can um, prepare our hearts and our minds for what it means. And so today we're going to do the same and we're going to think about this for millennia now. Christians have taken time at Christmas to look at the testimony to Jesus' birth, the testimonies to Jesus' birth. And so why should we, why should we do that? Why should we take a look at Jesus' birth and the testimonies to them? Well, because in the testimony of Jesus' birth, we see three things, right? We're going to see providence and grace in God with us, providence and grace in God with us, fulfillment and humiliation in God with us. And we also see consolation and source of division in God with us. So providence and grace fulfillment and humiliation and consolation and source of division in God with us. So let's take a look at the first uh, part, the providence and grace in God with us. This is uh, essentially flowing out of chapter 2 here, verses 1 through 7, so you can follow along. There are different uh, parts of the story, different parts of the testimony that look back to Jesus and, or look back at his birth and understood what it meant. 2, 1 through 7, how did God... One of the things you have to realize is that Israel at this time was waiting for the Messiah, waiting for the Savior, waiting for a deliverer from God. There was silence for 400 years plus, and they were longing for uh, a Redeemer, a Messiah. And one of the famous passages for that longing 
about where the Messiah would come from was from Micah 5.2. Micah 5.2 says this, But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for, for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Now, the prophecy of Micah 5.2 was fulfilled when God had arranged a census in order that Joseph and Mary would be in Bethlehem when Jesus was born. They weren't in Bethlehem at that time. They were living in Nazareth. So what, how, are they, how are they going to fulfill the prophecy? God caused a census to, to happen. The birth of Jesus at Bethlehem shows us how God in his providence works to fulfill his word. Now, providence is an insider's term. I'm going to just unpack it. One of the children's teaching tools to teach children the faith puts providence this way. What, is, what are God's work of providence? God's works of providence are his most holy, wise, and powerful preserving. So listen, preserving and governing all his creatures and all their actions. Preserving and governing all his creatures and all their actions. There's another uh, tool that was used for teaching children that... Um, was more pastoral in tone, and it put it like this. He watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. In fact, all things, censuses included, work together for my salvation. Now, that's important. The prophet Micah had declared that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. But Mary lived in Nazareth and was married to Joseph of Nazareth. And in order to bring this couple from Nazareth to Bethlehem, God used the Roman emperor Caesar Augustus. And Caesar declared that there should be an empire-wide enrollment or census, probably with a view to collecting taxes more efficiently. And the census was to be taken according to the customs of the various peoples in the empire, too. That's the way that that worked then. And among the Jews, it was customary for a census to be taken by tribes and families. By tribes and families. This meant that every Jew had to return to his ancestral city to be enrolled. And since Joseph was a descendant of David, he had to go to Bethlehem, the city of David. And Mary's wife went with him. Now, lodging was difficult to find. We see that here, too. In Bethlehem, it's not hard to understand. There were many in Bethlehem who, like Joseph and Mary, had come to be enrolled in the census. The village inn was full, and all those who could possibly take in guests had done so, and no other lodging was available. And the time of Jesus' birth was near, and in those circumstances, even the shelter of a stable was welcome. It was probably dark and dirty and filled with the smell of animals, But it was shelter, and it was there that Jesus was born, and he was laid in a manger from which animals had eaten. The providence of God with us, even through census. Uh, One of the illustrations that always got this across to me when I was listening to Dr. Keller in New York was that he would tell the story of why he was preaching at the particular moment that he was preaching. He said, you know, I'm preaching here today because uh, Gerald Ford became president. I said, what? What? What do you mean? And he would go on to explain. He said, well, I'm, a, I'm here today preaching because I'm a Presbyterian minister, and, and I was called to this work as a Presbyterian minister. I became a Presbyterian minister because of a speaker that I heard at college who almost didn't come, but he came at the last minute because Gerald Ford's son invited him personally and arranged it so that he could come and speak. And so I heard him because Gerald Ford had pool and was able to get that speaker there. And here I am 
See, so the idea is that God's providence is his arranging and governing of all things, all of his people, including those who would not acknowledge him. Uh, But providence in God with us, but also grace in God with us. That's providence. But think about this. What is the song of the angels that you see here? What does it mean? We're looking now at the section 8, verses 8 through 20. And there was ample testimony to the birth of Jesus. Ample testimony. The angels and the shepherds acknowledge him as the promised redeemer of Israel. Now, although the birth of Jesus took place in the most humble surroundings, the announcement of his birth was made by angels. The message which the angels gave to the shepherds is clear. But the song the angels sang is often misunderstood. Now, listen to this for a second. The first part of the song is glory to God in the highest. And there's no difficulty there with our, our, the way that we think about things, the way that we process God and how he might work and who he is and what we think about him. There's no difficulty. But the statement about peace on earth has been misrepresented frequently. There's a well-known old wording. If you've been around church circles for any length of time, you might have heard it in your parents' generation or in your grandparents' generation. And the King James Version goes like this, on earth, peace, goodwill towards men. It's beautiful. It's poetic. We hear it in Charlie Brown Christmas. <laughs> it's a great poetic way to put it, but it misses something very important. It carries the thought, to put it that way, it carries the thought that the peace and goodwill is extended to all men regarded, regardless of their attitude towards Jesus. The New Testament, however, teaches clearly that the peace which Jesus brings is given only to those who love him. Only to those who love him. The angels actually said that this peace was to men of good pleasure. So an accurate translation would be peace on earth to men upon whom the good pleasure of God falls. Our translation is very close to that here. Now that's cumbersome, but it expresses the truth of God, the idea that his peace is a gift of his grace. God sends his peace upon those whom he has loved from eternity and who therefore love him. Now, we've, we've been looking from time to time at these children's teaching tools. There's a, there's a question and answer that puts this idea very succinctly. It says, what is effectual calling? It says, effectual calling is the work of God's spirit, whereby convincing of us of our sin and misery, enlightening our minds in the knowledge of Christ, and renewing our wills, he does persuade and enable us to embrace Jesus Christ freely offered to us in the gospel. Look at the shepherds. What was their reaction to this news? What was their reaction to the idea that God would intervene, that God would save himself? So, well, let's go over and see this. Let's go over and see this sign. And they went over, and they saw the things that happened, which the Lord had made known to them. And they found Mary and Joseph, and the baby lying in the manger. And when they saw it, what did they do? They made known the saying that had been told to them concerning this child, and all who had heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. This is not, this is not common way to approach God, common way to think about God. The shepherd returned to the field, it says, glorifying and praising God for all they had seen and heard as it had been told them. God reveals himself. We learned that prayer through our prayer series is learning to respond to God for the way that he reveals himself. Christmas shows us that God reveals himself with uh, sovereignty. There's grace there's peace. Look, I know this is hard to understand but and hard to come to at Christmas, but one of the illustrations that I've often thought about with this deals with a lion. What's it in the, what's it in the lion's nature to eat? 
If you put a hot bowl of steaming porridge in front of a lion and you put a raw steak, what's it in the lion's nature to eat? The steak, right? He's not going to eat, no matter how many times. hundred times out of a hundred, he's not going to eat the porridge because it's not in his nature to do so. But one of the things that we see in the grace of God revealed, not only his providence but his grace, is that he changes our nature so that we can believe this miraculous event that God became a baby in a manger to grow up to take our sins upon him. So God, grace with God uh, with us. At Christmas, we look at the testimony of Jesus' birth to see providence and the grace of God, but we also see fulfillment and humiliation in God with us. Look at the Old Testament. We're going to be looking at 21 through 24 now. Look at the Old Testament ceremony that was performed on behalf of Jesus. What did the ceremony mean? What did the ceremony mean? Jesus was born a Jew. As one professor liked to put it, his aunt used to say, yeah, but only on his father's side. And that means, as Paul tells us, that he was born under the law. You can read about that in Galatians 4.4. 4. The law of God governed Jesus' life as it did the life of every Israelite. The circumcision of Christ, this ceremony that was pointed to here, shows us that he was willing, God was willing to place himself under the demands of the law. And by doing that, he became like his people. But his people were unable to fulfill the requirements of the law. And Jesus became like his people and fulfilled the law perfectly in order to redeem them. Now, sometime after Jesus' circumcision, Joseph and Mary took him to the temple to present him to the Lord. And according to the law, every firstborn son in Israel belonged to God. And it was at this ceremony that the firstborn son in Israel belonged to God. And at this ceremony, the firstborn was presented to Yahweh and then redeemed or bought back from the Lord for five shekels. So there's the fulfillment of God. There's the fulfillment in God with us. He came to live the life that we should have lived. But also there's the humiliation of God. At this time, Mary made the sacrifice for her purification. Now, what does that mean? In Leviticus 12, there was something of a, a maternal leave of absence from worship, and it lasted 40 days. And when that 40 days was up, what had happened was that Mary had to come to the temple and offer two sacrifices. Now, we read about the turtle doves and the pigeons, but also in Leviticus 12, there's a lamb for a burnt offering and a pigeon for a sin offering. The sacrifices which Mary brought uh, show that she and Joseph were poor, that they were very poor. The ordinary sacrifice was a lamb or a pigeon. However, the poor could bring two pigeons if they could not afford the lamb. The fact that Joseph and Mary brought two pigeons indicates that they could afford nothing more. And so we come to that child's tool for learning the faith about the humiliation of Christ, humiliation of Jesus, the Messiah. What does it consist of? Christ's humiliation consists of in being born, that in a low condition, made under the law, undergoing the miseries of this life. It's the humiliation of God. The equivalent would be if the Messiah were to come from a North Philly family, impoverished, without resources, without means. Suffering in this life is something that we often ask God about in our prayer. We ask God, why, why so suffering? Why so much? Where are you? Are you present? Do you care? Do you care about me? Do you care about my suffering? Do you care about the weight that I carry every day 
that I am buckling under. And the message here is that God comes in to this life to know suffering, to take it on. He cares so deeply about it that he moved into it, and he was under the weight of it, and much more than that, as we'll see. So in looking at the testimony of Jesus, we see God's providence, grace, fulfillment, and humiliation in God with us. But lastly, we see this. We see consolation and a source of division in God with us. In uh, 25 through 35, we have Simeon. In 36 through 40, we have Anna. What do the words of Simeon mean in 25 through 35? And there are a couple of things that are brought out. One is the consolation in God with us. There's evidence that the spiritual life in Jesus' time was at a low point. There's evidence that it was a low point. How's your spiritual life? Is it at a high point? Is it a low point? Is it somewhere in the middle? At the time of Jesus in Israel, in the life of Israel, there was evidence that it was at a low point, but God always had his true servants, and there were some godly people in Israel in those days. Among them were Simeon and Anna. Simeon was a man who was looking for the consolation of Israel, that is, for the coming of the Messiah. And he had been told by the Holy Spirit that he would not die until he had actually seen the promised Redeemer for whom he was waiting. And on, on the day when Jesus was brought into the temple, the Holy Spirit led Simeon right there and directed him to Joseph, Mary, and Jesus. And Simeon took the infant in his arms and praised God with a song. And his song, Simeon sang of himself as a servant who had been told to watch for something of great importance. And when it arrives, he is at peace and full of joy because of it, so wonderful. And he describes in his song that for which he's been waiting. It's the salvation which God had promised, and it's a salvation which shall reach to all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, and the glory of your people Israel. So there's consolation in God with us. It's tremendously, what does the word gospel mean? You've heard the word gospel used to describe Jesus' birth. What does it mean? The idea that it gets across is Tremendously good news of monumental and life-changing proportions. Tremendously good news of monumental and life-changing proportions. Uh, the, the illustration, my grandfather was in World War II, and so there were lots of friends and family who were also serving with him, and one of the things that would happen were that soldiers would come to a door when an officer had fallen, but occasionally they would come to say, you know, I know that you haven't heard anything, but he made it. We wanted to let you know. And the way that you came to your door to answer that and see those two soldiers there, the, the news that your loved one was alive and coming back to you was monumental and of life-changing proportions. It meant something totally different than the other message. There's consolation in God being with us. He's here. The shepherds and the angels are pointing to him. But there's also a source of division in God with us. Mary and Joseph were aware that Jesus was the promised Messiah but they didn't fully understand what that meant. And so the words of Simeon filled them with wonder. And in addition to Simeon's song of praise, he prayed for God's blessing upon them and prophesied. He prophesied. What did he prophesy? He prophesied concerning the results of Jesus' life. And he said that Jesus would be a source of division to men. And through him, some would rise to glory and others would stumble and fall. Mary would suffer pain and anguish. A sword shall pierce through your own soul. 
And so it's no wonder that the words such as these made Mary and Joseph marvel at the things God was doing in their lives. What did it mean for Jesus to be the Messiah? And there was another source of wonder too. The old woman named Anna, a pious widow who spent much time in the temple worshiping God and was also led by the Holy Spirit to the child Jesus. What she did is she came alongside Simeon. She added her testimony to him saying, this is the one. Israel, this is the Messiah. This is the one who God promised. This is the one who fulfills all the prophecies. And she spread the news. He's a source of division in God with us. So the nature of the way the Messiah saves, we're told here, would be a source of division to all people. Through him, some would rise to glory and others would stumble and fall. Think of it this way, um, and there's a spoiler alert if you haven't seen Hunger Games 2. Spoiler alert, so close your ears. Um, Katniss Everdeen toured the districts and chose to lead them by not telling them what she really thought. Why? It was a decision she made to protect the others in the districts when they themselves couldn't see the reason for her silence. And it caused some to stumble and fall. And it ended up spurning on a revolution. Think about it this way. In Philly, we've seen time and time again, we've said it in different ways. We don't want to let others help us. I remember uh, last Christmas, we took Christmas cookies to a neighbor. The very next hour, there was a Christmas cake on our door. Um, Or shoveling the snow. Uh, My son and I, one of the recent snowfalls, just shoveled our blocks snow and the stairs of our neighbor, particularly our elderly and infirm neighbors who have a handicapped parking sign. We wanted to make sure that they didn't have ice or or snow on that. And uh, some of the neighbors have watched out since then and tried to make sure that they're shoveling our steps. And, you know, it's a, it's a dog-eat-dog kind of thing. Or how about the, accepting the simple gesture of letting others allow us to turn at an intersection first? Have you seen somebody's reaction when another tries to let another go? No, you go. You go first, right? The point is this. If our not wanting to let others extend grace to us happens in everyday things, How much more would happen when we see the Lord of heaven and earth has chosen to save us through doing everything for us on our behalf? How much more will we be resistant to that fact? Friends, this Christmas, as we move through into a new year, as you look at the testimony of Jesus as God with us, will God's gift to you be a reason for you to stumble and fall? Or will it be a reason for you to rise to glory with him? He desires you to be with him. But it means humility on your part to admit that there was no way to come into God's presence unless he came on your behalf. And there's boldness on your part if you admit that because he did come on your behalf. Our Savior came. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're grateful that you have given us your only son, that you, Lord Jesus, were poor. You were rich and you became poor in so many ways, in so many varied uh, ways and, and means, without means, with just your grace and just your peace, you lived the life that we should have lived and died the death that we should have died. And so we're made whole in you. We look to the testimony of your promises being fulfilled, of your providence and your grace and your peace and even the division. And we are warned, and yet we're made whole. 
Be with us now through the fellowship of your Holy Spirit. It's in Jesus' name we pray.